0: Section 5 of Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mateja Bracic. Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages by Wilhelm Wegner. Section 5. Part 1. Section 2. Chapter 1. Hug Dietrich and Wolf Dietrich. The hero consented to fight the jewel, and the dwarves brought him three suits of armour to choose from. One was of gold, the second of silver, and the third of iron, very heavy but old and rusty. He chose the last, but kept his own sword. Drusian also put on his coat of mail and caught up his battle-axe. After some time, Wolf Dietrich's shield was broken by a violent blow from his opponent's axe. The hero seemed lost but avoiding the next blow and grasping his sword with both hands he struck so hard a stroke that the sharp blade cut deep down through neck and shoulder scarcely had the monster fallen when the dwarves swarmed round the victor with their small daggers and spears to avenge their master the fine needle-points pierced the rings of his armour but the palm silk shirt protected the solitary warrior from every wound at last he forced them back and husband and wife were able to clasp each other's hands and to assure one another of a love that would last till death let us away from this cursed house cried the hero who can tell but the dwarfish rabble are spinning new toils for us they hastened out into the deserted court and then sought a stable in which they found two saddled horses these they mounted and rode away after a long and tiring journey they reached old troia where the return of the queen and her brave husband was greeted with joy. Zygimina ruled her people with a gentle hand, but justly and firmly. No wonder, then, that they loved her. After her return she was even sweeter and more thoughtful for others than she had ever been before. But she was pale and thin, and what was worse grew paler and thinner day by day. One evening, when she and her husband were sitting alone together, she raised her sweet face to his and said, When I am gone, you must go back to your own country and people, for then you will be looked upon as a stranger and usurper here, and the land might be wasted by civil war. The thought of her death cut him to the heart, but he strove to look cheerful for fear of distressing his wife. He redoubled his anxious care of her, but all in vain. Her doom was sealed. He had been strong enough to conquer the giant and save his wife, but he was powerless to save her now. She died in his arms, and he laid her in her early grave. The Knife Man Once, when he was standing sadly by her last resting-place, he suddenly remembered that she had bidden him go back to his own country when she was dead, and then the thought of his mother and his faithful eleven rushed back into his mind. He also recollected that he had never carried out his plan of calling the Emperor Ordnance to their assistance. I shall never forget you, dear wife, he murmured. But I should be unworthy of your great love for me if I did not at once set out to bring freedom to those who have been true to the death in their fidelity to me. He turned away and hastened to make ready for his journey. He passed through many lands, rich and poor. One evening he saw a castle before him and asked a passing traveller to whom it belonged. Sir, replied the man, crossing himself, ride on quickly if you be a Christian that stronghold is where the heathen king Beligan lives with his daughter marpilia a maiden learned in magic arts he slays every christian he can catch and sticks his head on a spike placed on the battlements for the purpose look there is one place empty still beware lest your head be sent to fill it the hero explained that he felt no fear of that as his armour was good and he must have sharp weapons who sought to fierce it but the traveller assured him that the king so thoroughly understood the art of dagger-throwing that none could escape from him alive. Wolf Dietrich and the man parted company. The former would have ridden past the castle had not the owner come out to meet him, and invited him to spend the night with him, an invitation the hero was far too brave a man to decline. The daughter of his host, a young and beautiful girl, received him at the gate, and led him into the hall. While they supped together, Wolf dietrich on being questioned told them whence he came and whither he was going and baligan saw from his answers that he was a christian the heathen king then informed his guest with a diabolical smile that he had come just in time to provide a head to make up the required number on the battlements Wolf dietrich understood what was meant but showing no signs of fear he raised his goblet to his lips and emptied it to the health of his host and his daughter bedtime came and bellegin taking him aside told him that he had found grace in the eyes of his daughter Marpilia, and that he might marry her if he liked receiving both castle and kingdom as her dowry on one condition that he would worship mahmed wolf dietrich asked for time to think over the proposal but the heathen smiled and said you may have to-night to consider the plan that is long enough he then offered him a goblet of wine "'into which he had secretly thrown a powder. "'Drink, friend,' he said, "'and you will sleep long and soundly to-night.' "'The hero was on the point of obeying, "'when marpilla who had re-entered, "'snatched the goblet out of her father's hand, "'and emptying it on the floor, exclaimed, "'Not so, father. "'I intend to teach the stranger better things to-night.' "'She led her guest to his room, and said, "'I have saved you from a great danger.' my father was about to give you a sleeping potion that he might slip into your room in the night and cut off your head as he has already done to many a christian i now offer you my hand and kingdom if you will only pretend to follow our faith wolf dietrich thought of the and turning to Marpilia, did his best to convert her to his faith they spent the whole night talking on these subjects the next morning belligen came and invited his guests to join him at breakfast and after that, in a little game of throwing the dagger, explaining that such was their custom. As soon as breakfast was over, they went into the court, where the king's servants stood round them in a wide circle. The hero laid aside his armour and sword as he was desired, and received a buckler and three sharp and pointed daggers. The heathen took his stand opposite, armed in like manner. The latter flung the first dagger at his opponent's foot, and he avoided it by springing to one side by the beard of the prophet cried the heathen who taught you that are you wolf dietrich from whom it is foretold the evil shall befall me wolf dietrich would not confess to his name but stood ready again for the fight the second dagger scratched his head carrying off a bit of the scalp the third he caught on his buckler it was now the hero's turn to throw his first dagger pinned the heathen's left foot to the ground The second scratched his side, but the third, which he flung with the cry, "'I am Wolf Dietrich!' struck him to the heart. He was now attacked on all sides, but succeeded in putting his opponents to flight. He then re-entered the castle, put on his armour, took his horse out of the stable, and was about to mount when he suddenly saw that a wide lake surrounded the castle on every side, and a gale of wind was blowing the great waves so high that there seemed no chance of escape. At the edge of the water stood Marpilia, describing circles in the air and on the ground with a magic wand, and murmuring to herself all the while. Riding up to her, he caught her in his arms, and swung her before him on his horse. "'If I am to drown, witch, you shall not escape,' he said. With these words he spurred his horse into the wild waves, and saw that the waters stretched out farther and farther until they seemed a sea. He looked around, and saw that only one chance was left him. He flung the witch-woman off his horse. Instantly the storm ceased, the waters retired, and he was once more on dry land. But Marpilia was not drowned. She appeared before him again in all her beauty, stretching out her arms as if to embrace him but he threatened her with his drawn sword she then changed into a magpie flew to the top of a high rock and sought from thence to entangle him with new enchantments each more terrible than the other at last thoroughly spent with fatigue he exclaimed help me help me thou three in one or i die scarcely had he uttered the words when the witch vanished the sun shone once more upon the mountain vale and before him lay the broad road that led to lombardy after meeting with many adventures by land and water he travelled through a wild mountain region and there he fell in with a giantess an old friend of his father who received him very kindly and told him amongst other things of the sad fate of ortnit and Leapgard. although her tale diminished his hopes of help he was yet determined to continue his journey The giantess said it would take an eternity travelling as he did. Horses were so slow, with that she picked up both horse and rider and carried them pickerback on her broad shoulders three hundred and fifty miles in one day, over mountains, valleys and rivers, and set him down in the fair land of Lombardy. The Lindworm It was a beautiful moonlight night when Wolf Dietrich reached garden he dismounted, and standing under the shadow of an olive tree, he looked about him. He saw two women walking on the seashore. One of them was tall and stately. When she threw back her veil, he nearly uttered a cry of astonishment. She was so like Sigimina. Had the grave given up its dead, or had some deceitful elf taken the beloved form to lead him into danger? He stood breathless to listen, and heard Queen Leapgard, for it was she complained to her serving maid of the manifold sorrows and indignities she had been forced to endure the cowardly vassals she said they have courage enough to frighten a weak woman but no one dares to do the only thing that i desire on earth to avenge the death of their king on the monster that killed him and yet i have promised although unwillingly to give my hand to the true knight and hero that will do this thing there is only one man said the maid who could do the deed that is a greek wolf dietrich whose fame is spread abroad in every land the avenger is come great queen said the hero stepping out of the shade where he had stood i will venture my life to conquer the dragon the two women started back in alarm it is wolf dietrich cried the maid he once saved me from a band of robbers thanks noble hero said liebgard may heaven protect you on your quest but The monster will take your life as it did my husband's. Nay, go your way in peace, and leave me to my fate. But when the Greek showed her that his mind was firm, Liebkart gave him a ring which the dwarf had told her would bring good luck to the wearer, wished him all success, and then returned to Castle Garden. Without more delay, the hero turned his horse to the mountains, and made the best of his way to the Lindworm's Hall, which at length he reached he peeped into the dark cavern and saw five dragon's heads staring and hissing at him. These were the young worms. The old one had gone out to seek for food. The hero was about to slay them there and then, but it suddenly occurred to him that it would be better if the old worm knew nothing of his coming, and it would be an easy task to kill the little ones when the mother was dead. So remounting his horse, he set out in search of the monster. As he rode on slowly, saw a beautiful child standing on a rock it called to him you are come to revenge my son oughtn't it beware that you sleep not for if you sleep my son will remain unrevenged and you will fall a prey to the dragon my good friend laughed the hero you are too young to be a father i advise you to look out for yourself you would be a sweeter morsel for the monster than i and setting spurs to his horse he rode away laughing like ordnant, he came first to the high cliffs and then to the meadow where clover grass and flowers grew in wonderful profusion a linden-tree shaded part of it from the heat of the midday sun the hero was tired after his long journey and wakeful night he stretched himself in the shade to rest while his horse grazed in the meadow fatigue the fresh sweet air and the song of the birds in the branches overhead all combined to make him drowsy so he gradually fell asleep perfect peace reigned in the quiet spot it seemed as though it might last forever but suddenly it was broken by a horrible hissing a crashing of rocks and breaking of trees the dreadful monster the terror of the land was drawing near at the same moment Alberich exclaimed wake noble hero sleep no more the lindworm is upon you the dwarf repeated his warning several times in vain The faithful horse galloped up to his master and kicked him, but he did not awake. It was not until the dragon gave utterance to a loud and hideous roar that made the rocks crack and the mountains tremble that the hero was at last aroused from his trance. He sprang to his feet and attacked the monster, but his weapons were all too weak for the work they had to do. They broke like reeds on the creature's hide, without doing it any injury so he flung the handle of his broken sword in the monster's face and commended his soul to god for he was defenceless the worm caught him up in the coils of its long tail and at the same moment seized the horse in its great jaws then it bore its victims away to its den and threw them down as food for its young after which it went away again in search of more food the little dragons tried to devour Wolf dietrich but could not He was so well protected by his shirt of palm silk, so they thrust him aside unconscious, and turned their attention to the horse, which they soon disposed of. In the middle of the night, Rolf Dietrich came to himself, and began to look about him carefully. The moonlight penetrated the cavern, and showed him at a little distance something that shone bright red. He moved towards it cautiously for fear of waking the dragons, and found that the object which had attracted his eye was a huge carbuncle in a sword-hilt. He at once knew that this must be the sword Rosen, and took possession of it, as well as the rest of Ordnett's armour that he found lying uninjured amongst other coats of mail, which, however, were all more or less broken. With the armour he found a ring. This he put upon his finger. His preparations were no sooner completed than Daybreak came, and with it the old linworm. He at once attacked her, and, thanks to the magic sword, slew her and all her brood after a hard struggle. Thoroughly exhausted, he threw himself under a tree, where he lay panting and breathless. There Alberich found him, and revived him with food and wine. Before the victorious hero set out on his return to garden, he went back into the dragon's den to get the heads of the monsters. But when he had cut them off, he found that they were much too heavy to carry, so he contented himself with taking their tongues. These he put in a leather bag that one of Alberich's dwarfs brought him for the purpose, and then began his journey, which was made longer and more wearisome by having to be done on foot. He often lost his way among the wild mountains, and did not reach his destination for many days when he got to garden he found the castle full of feasting and mirth wondering much he went to a pious hermit who lived near and asked him the meaning of what was going on from him he learned that the burka Gerhard had slain the lindworm and was to be married to beautiful liebkart that very evening wolf dietrich then begged the holy man to lend him priestly garments and having received those that had formerly belonged to brother martin the hermit's predecessor he put them on over the armour he had found in the dragon's cave and repaired to the castle he entered the great hall and saw Borgrave gerhardt nicknamed hawk's Nose, seated next to the pale queen who with her maidens filled the glasses of the guests above the Borgrave's chair were the dragon's heads symbols of his victory when the queen saw the pretended hermit she took him a cup of wine which he emptied at a draught and then gave back having slipped into it the ring she had given him on the evening he started on his quest liebgard did not notice the ring till she had returned to her seat by gerhard's side then she trembled violently but forcing down her emotion she desired the hermit to approach and tell her from whom he got the ring lady you gave it to me yourself he said throwing aside his disguise every eye was fixed on him as he stood in the middle of the hall clad in ortnitz's wondrous armour and looking more like a god than a mortal man when advancing to the queen he laid her husband's ring in her hand and told her how and where he had found it many voices cried hail to the avenger of our king the slayer of the dragon and its brood hail to the new king of lombardy borgarve gerhard was not to be put aside so easily he pointed to the dragon's heads as proofs of his right but when wolf-dietrich produced the tongues from his wallet there was no more to be said but for borgarve Gerhard to beg the hero's pardon this he received on condition of swearing fealty wolf-dietrich was now proclaimed king of lombardy and was told that he was expected to marry the queen my lords he said as ruler of this kingdom i am also the servant of my people and am bound to labour for their welfare but as regards personal matters such as the choice of a wife i must be free and the queen must also be free to choose as she lists she is yet mourning the loss of her first husband but if she holds me worthy to succeed him and thinks that my love and reverence will comfort her for his loss i offer her my hand for life liebgard remembering what ornit had said to her placed her hand in the hero's and was married to him before long wolf dietrich was no longer the impetuous boy who had left Lilian Parter, but a man who can act with wisdom prudence and forethought he felt that his first duty was to restore peace and quiet to lombardy and that only after that was done would he be at liberty to consult his own wishes and start to the assistance of his faithful servants a year was spent in this labour and then he told his wife that he must go to lillian Porter. she wept and said that she feared lest, like Ordnit, he should never return, but in the same breath confessed that he was right, and helped him to make ready for his journey, and that of his army, which was to number sixty thousand men. The eleven. Winds and waves were in their favour, and the army landed at a short distance from Constantinople. Whilst the men encamped in the wood, the king set out in peasants' clothes to pick up all the news he could learn after spending hours wandering about the city and hearing nothing that was of any use to him he chanced to meet ortwin a gaoler and a former acquaintance of his the man carried a basket filled with black bread the hero went to him and asked him to give him a loaf for Wolfdietrich's dietrich's sake the man looked at him keenly and recognised him ah sire he said things have gone badly here with us the good old empress died during the siege of Lilianporter. When the fortress capitulated, the noble Duke Bastung and his sons were put in irons and flung into a dark and dismal dungeon. Death soon put an end to the old man's pain, but the ten young lords are still kept in strict confinement, and I may bring them no better food than a daily supply of this black bread and water." Wolf Dietrich was miserable when he thought that he was not without guilt with respect to his mother and his old friend. He could do nothing for them now but he might still do something for the ten faithful servants who yet remained. He arranged with Ortwin that they should have better food, and should be cheered by the hope of a speedy deliverance. The old Gola went on his way, and the king returned to his people. He found his men already under arms, for they told him that Zabina had discovered not only that they were there, but what had brought them. The armies met, and the battle raged long and furiously, without either side getting the better of the other but at last the fortune of the day turned the citizens of constantinople rose in revolt against the tyranny that had ground them down so long hastened to the prison and set berchtung's ten brave sons at liberty having done this they put themselves under their command and marched to the assistance of wolf dietrich it was a glorious victory the hero was proclaimed emperor on the battlefield Soon after their return to the capital, Sabine and the royal brothers were brought before their judges. The first was sentenced to death and was at once led away to instant execution. The death of the two latter was likewise demanded by both people and army, and Wolf Dietrich knew that they were guilty of causing the death of their mother and that of old Berchtung, and had brought upon him all the troubles and difficulties of his early youth. Yet he could not decide what was best to be done and reserved judgment until the following day that night as the victor slept the sleep of the just his mother appeared to him in a dream saint-like and beautiful in aspect she said spare my children and my blessing shall rest on thee and immediately bashtung appeared at her side god has mercy upon his erring children do not shed thy brother's blood as the hero gazed at the apparitions in intense amazement liebka joined them and said gently, Hast thou not gained kingdom, glory, and me, through the ill deeds of thy brothers? Return them, therefore, good for evil. Morning broke. The figures vanished, leaving Wolf Dietrich resolved what he should do. He called the nobles together, and before them all pardoned Borgen and Wachsmut, restored them their dignities and lands, to be held thenceforth as great fiefs under him. At first no one approved of his clemency, but on hearing his explanation, all were silenced. As soon as his arrangements were completed, Wolf returned with his army to Lombardy, and was welcomed by Lipgard with the greatest joy. After resting there for a while, he, his princes, and their followers went to Rome, where he was crowned emperor. At the feast which followed the coronation, he appointed the ten sons of, of good Duke Berchtung to be rulers of great fiefs. Herbrand, the eldest, received garden in its territory. Through his son Hildebrand, of whose valiant deeds we shall hear later on, he was ancestor of the Hülfings. Hache was given Rheinland, with Breisach as his capital. His son Eckhard was the protector of the Harlongs, Imbricke and Fritheele. He is celebrated in song and story as the trusty Eckhart. Berchter, the third son, succeeded his father at Moran. The other sons were as well endowed, but not as famous as their brothers, so their names and possessions need not be told. Wolf Dietrich and Liebkart had a son, whom they named Hug Dietrich after his grandfather. He grew up to be a mighty hero, and was the father of a valiant race. End of section five.